scripture reading this morning is taken from Colossians again, and you'll find the reading in your bulletin there. We're going to be reading Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. This is God's Word. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's Word. Well, I was reading a story a while back. It was a story about a man named Pasquale Scaturo. And you'll just have to assume I'm pronouncing that right. Take my word for it. Uh, Pasquale Scaturo is an exploration geophysicist. And what he does is he travels around the world looking for oil uh, in extremely dangerous places. That's his job. It's pretty dangerous. Uh, it's taken him to places like uh, Ethiopia, to Somalia, uh, and even to the former Soviet Republic of Georgia. Uh, sometimes, to do his job, he needs military protection. Okay? That's, that's his day job. Now, his hobby. Uh, his hobby is organizing and leading extreme expeditions. Uh, he's been to the top of Mount Everest. Not once, but three times. Uh, he would have made it a fourth, but he had to turn back at 27,000 feet because he had some side effects from the malaria he had picked up in Africa. He said, well, I'll just go climb Everest. It'll be okay. Uh, in 2004, he led an expedition down the Blue Nile River uh, from its source in Ethiopia to the Mediterranean Sea. That's, oh, 3,500 miles. Took 114 days. Uh, a lot of people tend to die on this trip if the rapids don't get you the bandits do. Uh, so that's his job and that's his hobby. At one time in his life, uh, Pasquale Scaturo was a Baptist deacon, uh, married for 17 years. Uh, before, he says, his wife's spirituality was getting so fervent that he said it was interfering with their relationship. She was too spiritual. Uh, and then he began to suspect that the leaders of the church were scamming him and, and taking his money. And so he quit the church and he renounced organized religion and he split up with his wife. And this is what he says now. When you take away the guilt trip of religion and knock down the walls, you have to ask yourself, what are my boundaries? Uh, his new wife says that he has this time thing going. It's not like a midlife crisis, but he knows that his body is going to give out at some point. Uh, so at age 54, he's trying to cram as much life in as he possibly can. And this is what he says. I'm not afraid of dying. 
I'm afraid of dying before I do everything that I want to do. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of dying before I do everything that I want to do. And so here's somebody who has rejected God and now he's on this endless quest for fullness. One thing after the other after the other. And yet as rapidly as he puts something in there, it's leaking back out the bottom. The experiences are just draining out. And he wants to find another one and another one and another one. And that's his entire life. Now, I don't think many of us are going to be going to Ethiopia this summer to raft the Blue Nile and dodge bandits or anything like that. Um, Not many of us need military protection when we work. But how many of us uh, are busy looking for that fullness? Uh, cramming thing after thing after thing, experience after experience, just looking for that thing. And it's always almost out of reach. And you get it and you do it, and then you got to move on to the next thing. And we're trying to find fullness in life, but can't ever seem to grasp it. Book of Colossians, kind of a reminder here, uh, is written by the Apostle Paul. It's written to the church in Colossae that was started, planted by a man named Epaphras. Uh, And the problem at Colossae was that false teachers had come in after Epaphras had started the church and left. These false teachers had come in and they said, well, what Epaphras said was fine, uh, but if you really want spiritual freedom, if you really want fullness in the Christian life, then you need to add this on to what Epaphras had said. Uh, What he gave you was good and all, but it's not enough. And Paul responds by saying, no, you heard the right message, you received the right message, and that message is a sufficient message because that gospel message is a sufficient message to unite you to Jesus Christ and it's in Him that you're going to find fullness of life. Now, in saying that, uh, Paul said, not saying that just because you believe the gospel, uh, you can now kind of say, well, I'm just going to take a nap, everything's good, and you put things on cruise control, and don't worry about your spiritual life anymore. Rather, he's saying that in order to experience fullness in the Christian life, you need to keep running back to Jesus Christ and drawing from the treasure that you actually have in Him. Um, that's where you're going to find fullness. Let me put it like this. Suppose that someone's given you a huge treasure chest. Okay, maybe this is a stretch, but just imagine. They've given you a huge treasure chest, and it's got gold and silver and crowns and rubies and emeralds and all this stuff in this treasure chest. And let's say, for whatever odd reason, you decide to keep this in your garage. You've got a very secure garage, maybe. Uh, And so that's where you're keeping your treasure chest. What do you do with it? Well, you don't just lock it in there and forget about it. If you're actually going to enjoy that treasure. You don't just leave it sitting there. Now you're going to go back to it and you're going to pick up those jewels again. And you're going to look at them and you're going to use them. And you're going to uh, enjoy them and reflect on this great treasure that you have. Otherwise it's just something else in your garage. Gathering dust. Having no real impact on your life. And Paul is saying in this text, y'all, Jesus is your treasure. God is your treasure. He's the one you need to keep running back to. You don't need to run off looking for more treasure. But you need to keep coming back to Him and to this gospel message and finding all these diamonds and rubies 
and gold and handling those and enjoy the, enjoying those. You need to keep running back to Him because in running back to Him, you'll know Him and enjoy Him. Uh, that's what verses 9 through 14 are about. Uh, they're a prayer, actually. And I might encourage you as you're praying for one another that you read through these verses sometimes and pick out somebody at grace and like, I don't know how to pray for them. Well, look, look at how Paul prayed for the Colossians. Maybe this might help me to pray for them. But they're his prayer that they, the Colossians, would realize the fullness of the treasure that they have in the person of Jesus Christ. He knows that the message of the false teachers isn't going to help them. There's not just something else that's going to put them over the top spiritually. Instead, he's pointing them back to the treasure they have in Jesus Christ. He knows if they want to live a full life, if they want to live a life worthy of the Lord, if they want to experience joy even in the midst of trials and suffering, they're going to have to keep coming back to Christ. They're going to have to know their God. Uh, They're going to have to, to get in that treasure chest and get down to the bottom of it and see what exactly it is that they really have in their hands. Uh, So, for us as well, uh, if we want to experience fullness of life, uh, it's not that we need to do something else or add something else, but we simply need to know uh, this God who has given himself for us and to us. And in the text, I want to pull out three aspects of that knowing God for us this morning. Uh, Three things are this. We need to know God's will and know God's power and know God's grace. We need to know God's will and know God's power and know God's grace. First of all, God's will. Look at verse 9. We ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, uh, this is going to be a crash course uh, in knowing God's will on this point. Uh, we, we are, we're always asking this question. Uh, how do I know God's will? How do I know what God wants me to do in any given situation? Um, and this could be a series of sermons, but again, a crash course. Start here, Deuteronomy 29.29. You don't have to turn there, but you might read this later. Uh, it says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. All right, there's, there's two things in that text uh, that point us, to, uh, that help us to understand God's will. Uh, and it shows us there's two ways the Bible actually talks about God's will. Uh, the first is this, it talks about God's will in terms of God's plan. And this would be the secret things that Deuteronomy 29, 29 talks about. Uh, Ephesians 1.11 uh, speaks of God's working out all things according to the counsel of His will, according to His plan. Uh, God's plan doesn't change. We can't know it. Uh, it's secret. Uh, it, it doesn't do us any good to try to figure out what it is. Uh, it's hidden, as it were. And it covers everything that's ever happened. Uh, even the acts of evil men are somehow, mysteriously, and this would be another sermon, um, covered by God's will. Just a couple of texts, to, if you want to uh, mull on that one a little bit. Genesis fifty twenty. Joseph, 
his brothers have done something bad to him, if you don't know the story. Uh, and, and he says to them later on, you meant it for evil. You meant what you did to me for evil, but God meant it for good. The God was actually at work in those same circumstances, and you're responsible for it, but ultimately that was God's plan. Uh, Acts 2.23 tells us, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Alright, who's responsible for the death of Jesus? Well, those wicked men who nailed him to the cross, but they did exactly what God had planned for them to do. They were ultimately responsible for it, but it was a part of God's plan. Now that's pretty mysterious. Uh, We can't work all that out right now. But that's just to say, one of the ways the Bible talks about God's will is in terms of God's plan. And the only way you can know God's will in that sense, there actually is a way to know. You know what this is? Wait. Uh, And whatever happened, that was God's will. Okay? So there's no mysterious insight into it. It's just whatever's happened, that was God's will in this sense. There's a second way, though, the Bible talks about God's will. Uh, And this is in terms, Deuteronomy 29, of the things that have been revealed to us. Things that have been told us. Uh, The Bible speaks about God's will in terms of what God wants, what God commands, what God desires for us to do. Uh, A couple of passages there, 1 Thessalonians 4.11. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. 1 Peter 2.15, it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now can you know God's will in this sense? Yeah, and you can, you can actually go against God's will in this sense too. How, how do you know it? Well, you, you open your Bible uh, and you read the Ten Commandments. You read other passages of Scripture. They show you actually what God's will for your life is. But I think Paul here in Colossians is actually saying even a little bit more than this. uh, Because he says that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in, or some translations say through, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, Paul isn't praying here just that they would know the commandments and remember them and do them. I think he's asking something else. He wants the Colossians to be able to apply God's word to the specific life situations that they find themselves in. Uh, He wants them to know how to best love God and how to best love their neighbor in whatever situation uh, they're in. And there's no real checklist for that, is there? I mean, there's there's some general rules we have in Scripture but there's no like detailed, people have tried to make those, but there's no real detailed list for how to do this. What is required? Uh, what's required for you to do that? Well, it takes wisdom. Uh, it takes discernment. I mean, look, we, we all have decisions coming at us left and right all the time. Choices that we've got to make. Uh, do we buy... The more expensive house that's closer to work, so we'll have the shorter commute. Do we have by the our, our, the less expensive house? Oh, I did that backwards. Whatever house you want to buy, buy it. If you're trying to decide which house to buy, where it's going to be. I don't know which one to buy, which car to buy, the one that gets good gas mileage, the one that's big and protects my family when we crash. I, I don't know. Uh, do I take the, the job in Spartanburg or I take that dream job in North Dakota? 
uh, if that's your dream job, uh, or, or South Dakota. Do, do we send the kids to public school or private school or do we homeschool? We, we try to think through those questions. How do I spend my money? Uh, where should I go to college? What do I want to do when I grow up? All these questions we're trying to figure out and, and we anguish over them sometimes as Christians waiting for God to tell us what to do. Uh, and we talk about, or we say, I wish I could find God's will uh, as if God had hidden it like an Easter egg and we've just got to go out. It's around here somewhere and one of these days I'm going to find God's will for my life. But he's torturing me right now. He's not telling me. And what this passage points us to is that the normal way God guides us is not by giving us signs, not by necessarily giving us a peace. Uh, I don't think Jesus had a lot of peace about going to the cross. Uh, but he guides us by making us wise. He guides us by making us wise. Now, if you're tracking with me, the next question you ought to be asking is, well, how do I get wisdom? If that's how God's going to guide me, then I want to be a wise person. Well, how do, we, how do we get wisdom? Well, wisdom begins with knowing God. As the Proverbs say, it begins with the fear of the Lord. That's where we start. Colossians 2 tells us the treasures, and here's our treasure again, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Guess where they're hidden, though? They're hidden in Christ. They're actually hidden in Christ. And so the starting point if you're going to be a wise person, is to actually know Jesus Christ. Uh, wisdom grows as we grow in our obedience to Christ. Uh, as more and more we repent, we identify the idols in our lives, uh, and we repent of them, and their control begins to lessen over us. Uh, these things like security and control and approval and, and pleasure, and we see these things for what they are, and we begin to turn away from them, uh, and we turn to Christ more and more, we grow in our ability to make good choices because we're sweeping away the things that are leading us to make bad choices. Um, thirdly, we just have to seek it. Ask for it, James tells us. Uh, study the Bible. Pray. Learn what God is like. Uh, a fourth thing to do is simply to hang out with wise people. Ask them for advice and listen to them. Uh, the Proverbs tells us that fools despise wisdom and discipline but wise men on the other hand listen to advice and they accept instruction see we want God to come and tell us what to do but God's more about the business of making us wise and we become wise as we know him now if you're saying well okay here's my thing I want to know God's will in this situation. Here's what you do. Do you know Christ? Uh, are you striving to be obedient in the areas He's clearly revealed to you? See, that can take up uh, all of our time, really. We spend all this time, what should I do in this situation? Well, there's lots of things that are very clear in Scripture that we're to be doing. Are you being truthful? Are you loving your children? Are you learning to complain less? Are you simply striving to follow after Christ? Are you letting the Bible ask you hard questions? Um, are you letting the Bible ask you hard, hard questions? When, when the Bible tells you to love God and love your neighbor, and then you approach a decision you have to make, do you ever ask, I've got these two choices, which one of these choices is going to help me love God and love my neighbor best? Not just which one of these 
is going to make things better for me, but with which choice am I going to love God and love my neighbor the best? Are you seeking advice from godly men and godly women? And do you actually listen to them when they give you advice? When somebody tells you, you know, you really ought to work on whatever, do you hear that? Uh, or do you kind of blow them off? Because one of the things that the gospel ought to be doing in our lives is enabling us to listen and hear hard truths about ourselves. Um, because our identity isn't wrapped up in us. It's wrapped up in Christ. Now, notice here what knowing God's will enables us to do. Look at verse 10. Walk worthily of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And notice how this kind of this comes full circle on us. You have to know God to get wisdom. But as you grow in wisdom and you put it into practice, you actually begin to grow in your knowledge of God. And since you're growing in your knowledge of God, you're, you're better able to discern what would please Him in any given situation. Now, here's, let me illustrate this to help us with this. Uh, when, when you're a kid, you know that your dad gives you certain instructions about life. And maybe, maybe kids, he's always giving you instructions. Maybe you're tired of hearing them. And he's saying, well, you do this, you do this, you do this. Um, you don't just get all of that all at once, like you're prepping for a test. Okay, here's the 20 things my dad told me to do. It, it doesn't happen that way. But what happens is, is you, as you spend time with your dad, you begin to know who he is, and you know what his character is like. And over time... You know, at first you might have to ask him what to do in any given situation, but over time you actually know him so well that you're like, well, of course I know what he would do in this situation. And it becomes natural to you because you spent time with him and you know him. You've observed him in action. Uh, Let me ask you this. Are you struggling uh, perhaps with areas of obedience to God in your Christian walk? Are you struggling... What you need, trying to figure out what you've got to do in a given situation. Uh, it's possible that underneath all of that, uh, you don't really know your father very well. And so you can't figure out what you need to do. You don't really want to obey him, even, because you don't know him very well. You haven't spent time with him. Uh, in his book, A Praying Life, which our women went through last fall, uh, Paul Miller imagines this imaginary visit with the prayer therapist. Right? We all went and sat down with a prayer therapist, and he's going to teach us how to pray. And so the prayer therapist uh, asks you, he says, well, what does it mean for you to be a son or a daughter of God? And you rattle off the answer. You know, we did that catechism catechism question that week so it's fresh on your mind here's what it means to be a son or daughter of God and he says that's great you understand your theology that's perfect and then he asks you um, tell me what it's like to be with your father meaning your heavenly father tell me what it's like for you to be with your father what's it like to talk to him and you kind of look at the therapist a minute and you say well it's kind of hard and my mind wanders and I'm, and I'm not really sure what I ought to be saying. And I sometimes wonder if this really makes any difference. And then I begin to wonder if God's really there. And then I feel really guilty about the whole thing. I just quit. 
And the therapist looks at you and he says, your relationship with your father is dysfunctional. Your relationship with your father is dysfunctional. You need help. You need to work on the relationship. So the problem wasn't that you didn't have the right technique for prayer. The problem was the dysfunction in your relationship with your father. Now, Paul says that we need to know, or he prays that we will know God's will. But knowing God's will and doing God's will, um, like praying, are intimately tied up with simply knowing God and being in relationship with Him. Second thing he prays for here, he prays that we'll know God's power. He wants us to know God's will. He also wants us to know God's power. Look at verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. You know, how in the world do I do, even when I figure out, all right, I know what God's want me to do. I've got this clear. I need to go do this. When I know what God's want me to do, how in the world am I ever actually going to do it? How am I going to do it? How am I going to do God's will when nothing seems to be going my way? How am I going to do God's will when I don't feel good, when I'm sick? How am I going to love my children and be patient with them when my nerves are absolutely shot? How am I going to go to work for my boss who's a jerk and drives me crazy day after day after day? How am I going to pursue holiness when sin always is just kind of pulling me away from God? I'm like, I kind of like to go do that. How am I going to do these things? What's going to keep me from, from throwing in the towel? How am I going to maintain my joy? And Paul is pointing us and saying, God's power. God's power, God's power, it's not your power, it's God's power. Isn't that a a hard lesson to learn? I know it's a hard lesson for me to to learn. Well, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how we're going to plant this church thing. And, And he says, you're not. You're not. It's not your strength. It's not your power. It's my power. Uh, you know, we find ourselves saying, Lord, I want this to get right. I want this situation to get made right, right now. Um, and you don't seem to be going along with my plan. Uh, Lord, I want them to know Christ. I want them to get well. I want to get out of this situation. And so help me and enable me to rest in you and in your plan. And to not look to myself to try to fix things. And make things go, but simply to rely on your power and your strength. Because the same power, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the same power is at work in you. The power that's at work in you is the same power that raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. And so we look to God in faith and say, Father, would you give me endurance? Uh, Father, would you, would you give me patience? Would you give me joy? in the midst of all this and would you help me to move forward relying on your strength and not mine knowing God knowing God's will knowing God's power and then the third thing is simply knowing God's grace verse 13 and 14 again 
He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Why in the world would I want to know God's will anyway? Why would I want to do what He wants me to do even when it makes no sense? When it's painful? When it, when it doesn't bring me any joy? When it hurts? It's because I know He loves me. And I know His grace. Because I know that He gave His Son for me. And that He's working for my good. Why in the world would I want to try to endure suffering with patience and joy? Instead of just saying, oh, the heck with it. Because I know that no matter how it feels right now, the Father has sent His Son who loves me. And His Son has come to deliver me from the kingdom of darkness. And He's forgiven my sins. I know He's for me. I know His grace. I've experienced His love. I know He's for me even in the hard things. Uh, If you're a believer, I know sometimes as believers we can kind of feel like uh, second-class citizens sometimes. Uh, We're a second-rate Christian. Uh, You know, we, we may ask, how can I know that I'm qualified to be counted among God's children? Don't you know the things I struggle with? Don't you know the things that keep popping up in my life? Don't you know what I've done? And what the Scripture says to us over and over and over again is you don't qualify yourself. You can't qualify yourself. You cannot qualify yourself. He, God, qualifies you to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints and the light. He delivers you from the power of darkness. He conveys you into the kingdom of His Son. He forgives you by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. You can't do something to make up for your sin. You can't do anything to make up for your sin. There's nothing you can do. You can only hold out your empty hand and receive what He offers to you. Uh, If you've done that, you're as much loved and as valued as much as any saint that's ever walked the the world. You're just as loved as they are. You're just as as loved as anyone. Uh, If you haven't done that, then Jesus Christ has actually offered to you today. And the forgiveness that's offered in Him is offered to you today. And the question to you is, will you receive it? And rest in it, in this grace that comes from God. And what will that bring if you do that? Well, it will bring peace with God. It will also bring, begin to bring the knowledge of God, which is going to lead to a knowledge of His will, and a knowledge of His power, and an ever-increasing knowledge of His grace. And you see, that's what begins to bring fullness of life. You know, why is it that looking at 14 different options of the gizmo you think you want to buy from Amazon uh, brings more joy than you have when you actually finally get the thing? All right? You're looking, all right, I got it. Okay, it's great and all, but let's go look for another one. 
Right? What's on there next? What's on my wish list? What am I going to get next? Why, once we make the big home improvement we've been talking about for two years, do we always immediately, what do we do? We move on to the next one. Right? This is what we need to do now. Why are we always talking on the phone about what we're going to do uh, instead of enjoying the people who are with us? Uh, why are we always texting other people uh, instead of actually talking to the people right in front of our faces? Why do we refuse to commit to anything until the last minute? Because maybe something else is going to come along and I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out. There's a chance I'm going to miss out. There might be something better. See, in all of that, we're always looking. We're always reaching. We're always grabbing for something to fill us, to make us whole. And I want to say to you, you could have the most exciting life of anybody on the planet. You could be Pasquale Scaturo. But if you're not filled with the knowledge of God, all those experiences are going to keep draining out the bottom of the bucket. And you're going to keep, you're going to stay empty, and you're going to keep looking for the next thing, and you're never going to find peace, and you're never going to find rest, and you're always going to be busy and frantic, trying to find the fullness that's offered you in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have provided fullness in Christ, that you have provided life in Christ, that you have provided forgiveness of our sins in Christ, that you have given us treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. And so, Father, I pray right now that, that whatever thing, we, wherever we tend to look, whatever we uh, put in the blank of in Christ, we put in something else. Uh, whatever that thing is, whatever that something else is, will you help us to see how empty that really is and how it's never going to satisfy us uh, and that you alone are the one we are made to know and that you're the one, you alone are the one who loves us and forgives us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.